Ten Commandments. And today we are going to explore commandment number four. We're on number four. God devotes, by the way, more words to this commandment <clears throat> than all of the others. So this is it, a signal to me it must be pretty important. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, before we jump right into that, let's go over to Exodus 5. Let's look at something. In this passage, in Exodus 5, let me kind of set it up, what's happening here. The Israelites are, they're still slaves in Egypt, okay? Uh, and they have become this race of brickmakers. That's, that's what they are to, to the Egyptians. Uh, now, back in the day, one of the key ingredients to make bricks, anybody guess, was? Straw. Very good. Gold star. Straw. <clears throat> and so what would happen is the Egyptian slave masters, they would come every day, they'd dump a bunch of straw on the ground, and, they, and the Hebrews would come along and make bricks out of it. But one day, just to kind of mix things up and uh, to punish them, make their lives miserable, the pharaoh of Egypt decides he's going to come up with a different plan. And this is what he says in, in uh, Exodus 5, verse 10. The slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So now suddenly they've got, they've got more to do, and it's going to be harder than ever. Verse 12, so the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. And the slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. Verse 14, and Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite foreman they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? And the Israelite foreman, <clears throat> excuse me, they went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. So Pharaoh says, oh yeah? He says, lazy, that's what you are. That's why you keep saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. Now, these are the slaves. These are the slaves that we've been talking about for, for the last month or so that are about to be rescued by God. These slaves are going to be freed by God. They're going to be given the Ten Commandments. But in Egypt, it's all about bricks. It's all about bricks. Um, so in the morning, when you wake up, when you're in a Hebrew, this is your life right here, bricks. And, and your life is, is all about making bricks. You make bricks in the morning, and then as the day goes on, when it gets into the afternoon, uh, you make bricks. And you make bricks all into the evening, and then the next day you get up, and uh, you have a lot to look forward to. It's all about making more bricks. That's what the next day is. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, you make bricks every single day. You get up, you make bricks, and then finally you get to the weekend, right? Everybody's living for the weekend. Sorry, a little spirit of lover boy came over me there. Well, guess what? You get to make more bricks. There, there's no weekend. You just make bricks. Sunday comes around, finally Sunday. You get to sleep in a little bit. Nah, 
you make bricks all day, morning, noon, afternoon, into the evening. This is the way it is 365 days a year, every day, 31 days a month, all day, your life is bricks. As soon as you're old enough to, to pick up a brick, you, you go out and you make bricks. This is your life. When you get in your teens, you don't go to school, you make bricks. When you're in your 20s, you make bricks. When you're in your 30s, if you make it that far, you get to make bricks. And if you make it to 40, which was very, very rare for their day, if you make it to 40, you make bricks. Until the day you make your very last brick. And on that day, they don't make you a retirement cake. Because if you've made your last brick, it means you're dead. That's what that means. This is your life, bricks. And if you... If you're no longer able to make bricks, so you're a slave, and so your worth is wrapped up in bricks. It's measured in bricks. And that's your worth to the Egyptians. So if you're no longer able to make bricks, well, they're not going to pay your room and board, so they just get rid of you. So this is life. Your person, you, you are owned. You're personal property. You're a slave. Your value as a human only comes from bricks. See, in Egypt, you are what you produce. That's what you are. You are what you produce. Your worth is measured in how many bricks you made today. So your worth comes from bricks. If you can't make bricks anymore, what are you? Worthless. You're worthless. You have no purpose. You're no longer useful. So this is life in Egypt. Bricks, a lot of bricks. This is your worth. Every day, every day, from birth until the day you die. Now, here's the funny thing. For, for us modern Americans, this isn't exactly hard for us to identify with. Uh, as Americans, we work harder than we ever have in our country's history right now. The statistics show that, did you know, since 1950, the, the average American's productivity has increased 400%. 400%. So you would think we'd get to work like four times less, but we don't. We still work harder than most of the rest of the world. We work 137 more hours per year than the Japanese on average. We work 260 more hours per year than the British. We work 499 more hours per year than the French. Everybody works more than the French. <laughs> 499 more hours per year. And at the same time, here's the thing. In every study done, America doesn't rank at the top in happiness. We rank below most of Western Europe in happiness. We rank below Canada. We rank below Mexico in happiness, these studies that they do. Mexico, Canada. Canada, they put mayonnaise on their fries. And we rank below them. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, we're, we're working more for less. And the thing is, there's no brake lights in sight. Because this is, this is what we're taught to do. And the consequences to this are staggering. 
It's not just that we have less free time. For most of us, more work leads to more stress and more death, a lower quality of health. We, we can't find the time to unwind. We don't find the time. We can't find the time to take care of our homes, to spend time with, with loved ones, to connect with friends, to live a generally more fulfilling life. Most of the people that I know, uh, when they're, I talk to them, and if they're, they're really stressed out or they're lonely, and I ask them, why aren't you connecting like in a small group here at church? They say they don't have enough time. They don't have time to connect with people. Now, and, and the research on this is clear. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Stress is the number one cause of health problems in America. They've, they've caused this. Uh, they've, they've studied this out. Stress, the number one cause of health problems in America. And there are a few things that stress us out than being constantly overworked. Now, this is not how it's supposed to be, my friends. Okay? This is not what God intends. And this is, does not have to be our fate simply because that's what culture tells us. Right? We, we are designed for shalom. We are designed to flourish. We are designed for peace and joy. And instead, we find ourselves living like Hebrews in Egypt. We're physically tired. We're mentally tired. We're spiritually tired, emotionally tired. We're overwhelmed, relationally tired. And instead of being human beings, we've become human doings. Because we do. We do. Because it's all about the bricks you've produced. We are defined by the bricks that we produce. So, which leads us to two questions. Is there a way out of this? And if so, what does it look like? Let's turn over to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, it's the epic account of God's creation, God and his creation. So in Genesis 1, uh, most of you know the story. He makes, God makes light, and he makes trees, and he water, and he makes all the good stuff. And every time he makes something, if you notice the progression in the story, every time he makes something, he, he one-ups himself. He makes something more advanced the next time. Right? So, so the first time, if he makes dirt, then he comes back and he makes a tree. But then he makes leaves and seeds and fruits. So he's, he's, there's a progression going on. Then he makes animals, and then he tops it all off by making man. And then he says, we can do even better than that, and he makes woman right? And so Genesis 1.31, he says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth were created, or completed, in all their vast array. So God creates for six days, six days, he makes the physical universe. The sixth day ends, God looks at it all, and he says, this is good stuff. This is really good. Verse 2 of, of chapter 2. He says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God rests on the seventh day, and he makes it holy. Now, a couple of observations I think is interesting here. First, this is going to be really deep. God creates stuff. You're welcome. I studied that a long time, and that's what I came up with. God creates stuff. That's the first thing we want to look at. We all agree to that. For six days, God is the creator. He creates. He's super creative. Then on the seventh day, God rests. Okay, fine. Now, observation. If God rests, then God is not 
creating on the seventh day, is he? He's not creating on the seventh day. Now, if God is resting and not creating, it raises kind of a disturbing question. Is God still the creator if he's not creating? Yeah, he's still the creator. Can God rest on the seventh day and still be the creator that he was on the sixth day? Can God stop working and still, you know, be God? Is he sitting around on the seventh day going, man, I just don't feel like very gaudy today. <laughs> Something's missing, right? No, I think most people would say, yeah, God is still God. He's still in control, of course. So if that's the case, then, then somewhere in you and me is this sense that God is God, whether God is doing anything creative or not. He is God. God is God, period. And if that's the case, then God's worth, his godliness isn't dependent on what he happens to be doing at any one moment. God can work. God can rest. God can do stuff. God can observe, right? His worth is not dependent on whether he's creating or not. So this creates an even more disturbing question for you and me. Can I be me if I'm not doing anything? Am I still me? Are, are you, apart from what it is that you do, are you you, apart from what it is that you do, what you create or what you make, what you produce? Can you be you, or do you need to be doing something to have worth and value? Is my life defined by bricks? All right, we're going somewhere with this, I promise. Let's look at Exodus 20. We get to the commandments. So it's to these people, the brick people, God comes. And, and a few chapters later, and God says, I want you guys to be my children. You're my children. I want to teach you what it means to be human again, right? He brings them out of slavery. They're no longer owned by Pharaoh. They're no longer in brick world. Everything's different. They don't have to eat and sleep bricks all day long. God has brought them out here to the wilderness. No bricks as far as the eye can see, for the first time in 400 years for these people. So the question for them, if you could put yourself in their place, is surely, what am I now? What am I now? Because I'm really good at making bricks. My dad was really good at making my bricks. My grandfather was. Man, we were the best at making bricks. What am I now? God is showing these folks, remember, how to be human Again, So in Exodus 20, verse 8, he says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So notice here uh, in verse 9, God affirms work. He said work's good, labor's good. God affirmed way back in the garden. You know, he gave them a job to do. Work is a noble thing for men and women to do. And then he gets to verse 10, and he says, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On that day you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son and daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. So God rests on the seventh day, he rescues his people, and he tells them to rest on the seventh day. The command is essentially... You're my people. I want you to be like me. Be like God. 
right? Work is good, but then be like me. Take a day that is different from all the rest. Now, how many of you, maybe, maybe there is a small percentage of you here, grew up in like a really religious household, uh, and you actually observed the Sabbath once a week, and, and y'all were you know, pretty strict about it. You really reserved the Sabbath. Any, anyone? A few people. A few people. It's, it's usually a very, very small percentage, yeah. Um, I've talked to folks who did, growing up, observe Sabbath. And so often for them, Sabbath meant a long list of things you weren't allowed to do on that day. Uh, for some folks I've talked to, Sabbath was the day you are, you, you are bored for the Lord. That, that's, that's what one of my friends growing up was like, it's, I, it's Sunday, I got to be bored for the Lord. That, that was like Sabbath for him. Um, like, like everyone in the family, you know, just sits around in their boxer shorts, not doing anything and staring at each other uh, and not doing anything fun. That's, some people think of Sabbath as that. But now let's ask, is the living God of the universe uh, just trying to make us bored one day a week? Is that what this command is all about? See, one of the difficulties human beings have, we have with a command like this, is how we view time. How we view time. Uh, in, in a nutshell, you and I uh, use time to acquire stuff, right? Or to make stuff. We use time uh, to, if you have a job, you go to work every day, right? You spend your time, 40 hours a week or whatever it is, you spend your time so that later you can spend your money and get stuff. So they'll hand you a paycheck and cash it in. You can buy insurance and food and blue jeans, and waffles, whatever it is you want to buy with your, with your money. Um, and so that time for you was useful. That was useful time because it helped you get stuff. So we tend to look at time and we base time on how useful it was to get us stuff, right? Um, if you're in school, you don't necessarily go every day to get a paycheck, but after four years of spending your time, you get a diploma, right? So that you can get a job, so that you can get a paycheck, so you can buy stuff, right? So our time is an investment to us. We use time to acquire stuff. So it's really hard for us to comprehend time apart from its ability to create things, Time needs to be creating things for us, to be useful. Time, for us, is useful only for what it produces, right? Only for what it produces. So we evaluate time. We say things like, oh, man, that was a waste of time. Meaning what? It didn't produce enough value to us. It was a waste of our time. Now, hang with me here. How many of you, if you were really honest... One of the first thoughts you have when you wake up in the morning, as your eyes open and you realize you're conscious, your, your first conscious thought is your list of things you've got to do today. I see some heads nodding. Those responsibilities that press on you, they press on you immediately as soon as you're awake. What has to be done that day? Why? Because we are slaves to time. We are slaves to time, and you and I cannot think of time apart from its ability to produce things, right? But the Sabbath, okay, the Sabbath is different. What is the Sabbath? You see, I take one day a week to remind myself that I am not a machine. Amen. One day. 
I am not a machine. And that's what's going on here in Exodus in the fourth commandment. All these people know are bricks. They only know bricks. And to them, God says, your worth does not come from the amount of bricks you produce. Your worth comes from the fact that you belong to me. That makes you priceless. I don't care how many bricks you make. You're priceless is what God is telling them, right? Can you imagine what this would be like to be told from now on, you don't matter because of your bricks. You matter now because I love you. Because I made you. And I want you to take one day a week to remind yourself that I am not a machine. One day a week. Now, let me be really honest with you. I'll be really upfront with you. Um, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. I don't like to stop anything. I like to start things. Right? I'm all about, let's start things. I don't like to stop things. I don't even like to slow down in traffic. You know, you get kind of nervous. You get that feeling. I don't like to be unproductive. Uh, I, don't like, I don't like to not be making some kind of plans or charts and graphs about something. I mean, I, I, you know, that, I'm, I'm in my happy place there, right? And planning stuff, doing stuff. In fact, I, I like to start stuff, but, but it's hard to stop stuff. And when I first started getting serious about having a, a Sabbath, I'll be honest, it almost sent me into an anxiety attack, right? It's almost like depression. It's like, what is this? It felt so weird because I felt valueless. I am wasting my time, right? You get antsy because you feel valueless. This time has no value until you realize what's going on. I discovered, though, that the creator of the Sabbath himself, he tells me I need this. He says this in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Oh, man. This scripture, it, this freaked me out. When, when do we get to know God? When we're still, right? How does he describe his voice? Still, small voice, right? This word still, this will... This will hurt even more. This word for still is this Hebrew word, rafa. It literally means weak, to fail. It's the Hebrew word for weak, failing. Literally, God's telling us, take time during the week. Allow yourself a posture of weakness. Unproductive, unbusy. Can you think of anything more pride-killing than that? Some of you right now are just going, nah, this sounds great, but this is never going to happen. Pride, pride killing. It is for some of us, right? Now, let me answer a couple of ob objections that I know that we all have about, about this. Notice, number one, Sabbath is not just an old covenant concept. It's not just something that's just under the law. It's a concept that precedes the law. Where did we first see it? In the garden, the garden Right? We saw it in the very first chapter. It's observed by God himself in the very first verses of creation. Kind of like the tithe. Remember, we were talking about tithing a couple months ago. It's a concept that precedes the law. It's really a principle. The Sabbath, kind of like tithing, is this principle of giving back to God. And it's something he has set in motion for us as human beings. Because he designed us, so he kind of knows what's going like, to be good for us, be good for our souls, right? He knows. Secondly, we don't have to get real religious about this. Let me nip this in the bud too. We don't have to assign a whole bunch of rules. This is not about legalism. 
Jesus Christ himself said that Sabbath was made for us. We weren't made to be ruled by the Sabbath, right? So Sabbath is a gift from the Lord. It's to be a delight. Furthermore, in Colossians, check this out. This is pretty blatant. Therefore, let no man pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. No judgment. So there's no place for judgment, okay? No place for judgment. No place to get prideful about this. Let's not get legalistic, a spirit toward one another. Don't fear that you're going to be judged here today if you practice Sabbath in a different way than someone else does. And please do not judge others, okay? If they have a difference in conviction or the way they they practice it. If you disregard the principle of the Sabbath, let me just say this. If you disregard the principle of the Sabbath, it won't keep you out of heaven, but it may get you there faster, okay? Why? Because you're subjecting yourself to a stressful life God never intended for you, okay? It doesn't even have to be, here's some other things, it doesn't have to be on Sunday. A lot of people celebrate Sabbath on Saturday. My Sabbath is on Monday, because today's kind of a busy day, right? So my Sabbath is, is tomorrow. Um, uh, and, and, and maybe for you, you know, Sabbath is different things. Sabbath doesn't have to be 14 hours of prayer and fasting. That's not, that's not what it's about. Uh, maybe for you, the Sabbath is the day you simply stop striving to better yourself. Pride killing, right? The day you stop striving to better yourself. The day you stop trying to make more money. Maybe it's the day you just decide, today I'm going to meet someone else's needs. Maybe that's what Sabbath is for you. Amen. You taking yourself out of the equation completely. Maybe for you, it's the day you heal inside and out. Maybe for you, it's the day you put down the textbook and pick up a novel without feeling guilty about it. Maybe for you, it's the day you turn off the TV, turn off the internet machines, and take a walk outside. That, that might be your Sabbath. Maybe for you, it's the day you, you actually tell your friends and your family, when they ask you to come along, you go, no thanks, not today. Maybe for you, it's just the day you stop trying to produce. You stop producing. You stop trying to get the high score. You stop you know, trying to be the machine. Stop being the cog, the student, the employee. And instead, you spend a whole day being human. Imagine that. A whole day being human. Because seriously, we will all like you a lot better if you'd be more human. Right? <laughs> Jewish scholars say this about the Sabbath. They say Sabbath gives the world the spiritual energy it needs to survive another week. The root word of, this, uh, of the word Sabbath, it comes from a phrase. It's amazing. It means to catch one's breath. The Hebrew root of this word, to catch one's breath. So the rabbis would teach that Sabbath was the day we actually let our souls catch up with our bodies. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. Because life is deflating. Work's deflating sometimes, Right? It's hard. And the Sabbath allows the Spirit of God to breathe into us. To breathe into us. I live in a world that wants me to be a machine. I'm surrounded by voices that that tell me to produce, right? If you meet somebody at a party, what's the first thing they say? What's your name? What's the second thing they say? What do you do? Right? Not what are you like. (laughs) What's your personality like? Nobody says that. They say, what do you do? 
right? Because you're defined by this. So I take a week, a day a week, one day a week to remind myself that my worth does not come from what I do. And if we get this upside down, we're going to be in trouble. If, if many people are like, I will do this and then I will matter. If I could just do this, if I could just accomplish this, complete this. But scripture tells us that you matter. And now because you matter to God, you get to join God by working with him in the world. You get to join him because you matter. So my worth comes from my value in God. And if I get that backwards, it gets all messed up. Scripture refers to it then as toil. Something that was noble and good, work, labor. There's another word Scripture uses, which is toil. So I work from a totally different place than trying to attain worth. It'll change even the way you work. Whatever you do, when you go into the jobs, job site every single day, or you're taking care of the kids, or you're teaching, or whatever it is you're doing, or you're going to school, it will change the way you do it when you realize you're not going there to attain your worth. Now, this also means something really cool. If I work, let's say I go to work, or I'm doing something, or I'm making something, or I create something, and nobody thinks it's worth much, that's okay. Because my sense of value comes from God. I, I didn't do it so that people would think I was worth anything. Right? And, and if, if I'm a girl and my boyfriend thinks I'm 20 pounds overweight and wants to get rid of me because I'm not good enough for him, guess what? That doesn't matter what he thinks because my worth comes from God. Right? I am not what I produce. So if I'm a student, I bomb on a test, is it going to ruin my life? No, I am not what I produce. If I don't make the big sale at work in the office, it doesn't put the tiniest dent in the value that my God has assigned to me. Not the tiniest dent in my value. So Sabbath is not a long list of of things that we can and can't do. Sabbath is entering into a new dimension where I I don't have to be rushed to be somewhere because people are counting on me. I've heard Sabbath called a cathedral built in time. Right? We build these cathedrals so that we can worship the Lord out of space. We build it out of stuff and space. Sabbath is a cathedral in time that you build to enter into with the Lord. Y'all, good. Y'all go in there together. It's the space I need for God to fill me back up and make me human again. That's what the Sabbath is. It's a day... Sabbath is a day I get to play with my kids for like three hours straight and, and, not a, and never think, man, I'm getting really behind schedule here. Because the truth is, I work hard all week long, just like you. We work hard all week long. And you know what I found? My kids don't care one lick how big my church is, how good I'm pastoring. They just want to know when's dad getting home. That's all they care about. So I have one day a week. For, you know, that, that I, don't have to, I don't have to be what I am during the rest of the week. I get to be human. Sabbath is the day I get to take the whole morning and drink coffee with my wife and just be reminded of what an incredibly lucky guy I am, right? It's the realm. I step out of the clockwork and the gears of how the world works, and I let God fill me back up. He fills me back up with my humanity. Sabbath, it's where we are reminded 
of who we really are, who we really are when we're not producing. And that'll reveal a lot to you. There's a story in Matthew 3. We're getting close to the end here. This story in Matthew 3 has a little detail that I'm, I'm betting a bunch of us have never noticed before. Jesus, he's getting set to kick off his ministry. And he comes to John to get baptized. Everybody remember that? He's getting ready to get started with ministry. He comes to John at the River Jordan to get baptized. And John's a little fuzzy about this because Jesus is the Messiah. And John's like, dude, I'm just the opening band. You know, you're the one everybody's come paid to come see. Uh, but this is what Jesus says in, in Matthew. As soon as Jesus, or here's what happens. Jesus, as soon as he was baptized, he went up out of the water. And that moment, heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. The voice of God speaks, so everybody can hear. The voice of God said, This is my Son, whom I love. This is my boy. I love him. With him, I am well pleased. What's interesting here is that Jesus hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't raised the dead yet. He hasn't preached to the multitudes, right? He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't done all the, the Jesus-y stuff, casting out demons and spitting in people's eyes and turning over tables and all that. Good stuff. He hasn't done any of that, right? He hasn't transformed whole villages with, with his message of hope and salvation. He's just getting started here. He's just getting started. Before he's done anything, God says, this is my boy. With him, I am well pleased. Pleased for what? Apparently, God speaks favor. He speaks blessing on Jesus, and Jesus hasn't produced anything yet. Kind of like in the Exodus, God makes Israel his people. They haven't done anything to deserve this yet. They don't even know the rules yet, and he rescues them from Egypt. He says, you're my people. Right? Kind of like he does with you and me. Declaring us his favored children, dying on the cross for us. When we haven't done anything. You haven't done anything. If I, if I never preach another sermon after today, if I never accomplish anything big and impressive, will God still love me? If you never accomplish anything again, would God still love you? See, if you're a driven person, this messes with your ego. If, if you, or if you're somebody who maybe has just been belittled all your life and told you're not good enough at something, this, this is hard to wrap your mind around. This is a beautiful gospel. This is the beautiful gospel that your worth is not in the bricks you produce. You've already been found priceless. Amen? God has proclaimed that your worth comes from the fact that you exist. And he has made himself your God, period. So, are you here today? And are you working and you're toiling and you're cramming, right? And, and, and you're crash dieting and you're punishing your body in different ways and you're going, 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 going. And it's not out of a sense of, of gratitude, like, oh, look what God has done for me. I, I want to join him in the work that he's doing in the world. It's not out of that kind of a sense where God loves me so much. 
I want to be my all for him. It's out of this sense of, if I just do this thing, then somehow that hole will be filled. How many of us are are like that? This morning, God says, you are my daughter. You are my son. And with you, I am well pleased. Well pleased. How many of you, when you're, the moment your head hits the pillow at the end of the day, after a really grueling day of work, it feels like you just got up. You're like, what happened to this day? Where did it go? It, it goes by like that because you have been going nonstop. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Worry and anxiety. When you have worry and anxiety in your life that comes from trying to earn something, that you already have, or be something that God already declares you to be, that kind of endless wheel of stress will kill you. Don't be a machine. Don't be a machine. Now, one final word. There is work to be done. There's good work to be done. There's a huge garden out there that needs tending. And God has put us in this time and this place. There's a kingdom that God has invited you and me to invest in and to declare throughout our whole culture. There's work to be done. And it's noble work. It's a noble mission, right? And it's empowering kind of work. It's good. But your worth does not come from your work. Even your spiritual work. Right? Your work does not, your worth does not come from your work. Your worth comes from the work that God has already done for you. That is where your worth comes from. And he says what he created is good, and that includes you. Amen? Amen. Amen. This week, you are going to be called upon. You're going to be invited to, to churn out brick after brick after brick. You're going to be invited to churn out another one of these every day and just keep going, 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 going. You're going to be made to feel that your worth depends on how many of these you put out. And God invites you to drop that brick. Drop the brick. Amen? Amen. It's time to be human again. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us a better way that you're opening our eyes to a better way to live. I thank you, Father God. We don't have to be part of the machine because you have created us for the kingdom. Thank you, Lord God. And you said your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. You said what we are worth comes from you. And you've declared us priceless. We thank you, Father God, for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you, Father God, that there are people here today, Lord, perhaps for the first time, Lord, that are beginning to see hope and beginning to see a different way to live. Lord, I thank you for for showing us, opening our eyes, showing us the possibility of living a different way. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy. We thank you that you have done all the work for us. You did the work on the cross, and we accept that gift. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our prayer partners.